For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the WTF1 podcast and welcome to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your host, Dre Harrison, and on HDW, it is the spiciest of your takes and our probably even spicier opinions. With me, once again, is our editor-in-chief and uh, general delight and Twitter admin and all sorts of other stuff. Charlie Williams, how's it going? I'm good. You've just exposed my uh, <laughs> my Twitter admin. No, no, I, I occasionally come out with a good quote whenever I write something on the site. It happens very infrequently, but I, I, I take pride in my moment of, in the sun, all right? Expose, exposing my old ego. Um, yeah, I'm all good. It's very sunny where I am today, so that instantly puts me in a good mood. That's automatically a plus. Um, I wish I could say the same in London right now. It is cloud as far <laughs> as the eye can see. Um, but uh, we will warm things up and we will we'll raise the sky with some of your spicy takes. Now, as I always say, every podcast is someone's first. So for those who are new to us, Hot Takes Wednesday is a show where you, the fine WTF1 audience, send us in your hot takes regarding just about anything in Formula 1 in general. And then we, uh, the hosts on the show, will talk about them, evaluate them, and then we'll score them on a scale of 1 to 5. 1 being that we seriously disagree with the take, and 5 being that we seriously agree. If we both agree on a one or a five, they will go into my special, and thanks to Twitter for naming this for me, Sub-Zero Vault. So we'll review them at the end of the season in what I will call the hottest and coldest takes of 2023. You've got four tweets in there, I believe, so far. So we're already filling up quite Ooh. nicely. By the end of the season, there'll probably be enough for a three-hour special edition. The weather. <laughs> so so uh, I look forward to trying to dissect the best and worst of that mix by the time we get to December. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. So, Charlie, are you ready for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday? I'm ready. Let's do this. And MV1 Supremacy comes in with straight fire. Um, it's um, I know people have accused us before of, of copying hot ones, which I think which always makes me giggle. This is the last damn Apollo edition. It's it says here Lance Stroll will win three races this year. Oh boy, Lance Stroll will win not one, not two, but three races this year. Who submitted this? Are you sure it wasn't Kieran? The Twitter account says MV1 <laughs> Supremacy. I'm not sure if it's just a burner account for Kieran at this point. I could be wrong, but th this is bold, and I don't think this is going to take an awful lot of time to break down. But uh, <laughs> Charlie, wh what have you got for this? Um, I don't think I hide the fact that I'm not Lance Stroll's biggest fan. And before anyone <laughs> jumps at me for me thinking it's because of his dad and all that, um, it isn't because of that. I do genuinely think he deserves his seat in Formula One and his ability was clearly visible early in his career, you know, through his junior junior career. But do I think he's going to win three races this year? No. Um, and that, again, that's not because of his ability. I think this goes back to what we were discussing last week, Dre, in that if Max and Checo aren't winning and Alonso isn't winning and then George and Lewis aren't picking up those scraps, then, 
yeah, maybe Lance could possibly get the chance of winning a race, but there isn't going to be many, if any, circumstances where those five drivers aren't around. So maybe one win could be likely. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet my life on it, but it could happen. Um, but three is a definite no for me. <laughs> yeah, I've said it before. I think Aston Martin's got at least. The, the third best car in the field, possibly second, depending on, on what layout of track. Look, you've always got a shot if you're in the second best car. That's what I've always said. Even with Red Bull dominating, it, it hasn't taken much to alter some of their weekends. In fact, we've had two of them already this year where at least one Red Bull has had a compromised weekend. Verstappen in, in Saudi Arabia and, of course, Perez uh, in Australia. So... You know, I, I still think there is an outside shot. If if the if the take was Lance Stroll wins one race this year, yeah. I'd be a lot more willing to entertain the possibility. If it was <laughs> if it was if it was one race win, then yeah, I I am all for that. Uh, three, like you've got to be pretty good to win even three races in a season when there's one dominant car and there is one dominant car. It's a juggernaut of a car. I'd be hard pushed to give the rest of the field free races this year, let alone Lance Stroll. And I agree with I agree with you, Charlie, that if I was gonna pick a driver to be in the box in the box seat to take advantage of uh, a Red Bull struggle, it would be Fernando Alonso right yeah. now, given he's finished third <laughs> three times already this season. Um, you know, so I, I would say that Fernando Alonso has probably been the best of the non-Red Bull drivers so far this year. So I would probably put him in contention for that more than Lance. So I think I know where this is going. <laughs> but I'm going to go one here, unfortunately, because, look, I probably would have still said one if it was Fernando Alonso will win three races this year, let alone Lance Stroll, who has not been able to prove that he's really on Alonso's level just yet. Um, maybe he will down the season. Now he's back at 100% health, hopefully. But... It's got to be a one from me, I'm afraid. Am I opening the vault, Charlie? In the vault. In the vault. In uh, the vault. Yeah, it's it's going in. <laughs> it, it's going in. Yeah, I, I think it's fair yeah, to say it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a one on both sides on this one. <laughs> um, sorry, MV1 Supremacy, if that's your real name. Um, <laughs> that uh, I, I can't quite get there on Lance Stroll winning three races this year. Like, yeah. I, like I said, if you'd have said one, I'd have probably bumped this up to a two. I still would have likely disagreed, but one freak <laughs> win is doable. Three is right now for me yeah. uh, a, a bit too wild for my takes, a bit too spicy. Um, <laughs> second take on this one is from Covert Cat 77, and Covert Cat says Monaco is a great race. That's it. That's the tweet. Uh, five, five words, simple. I, I, I've always wanted to say that on an actual podcast and not. Have it not be ironic. That's it. That's the tweet. Monaco is a great race from Covert Cat 77. And this is interesting because this is purely subjective about just, just generally how you feel about Monaco as a race. Because I know it's, I think it's the ultimate calendar divider of opinion. I think some mm -hmm. people love Monaco in the historic aspect and it's one of the blue ribbon rounds. It's been there from the very start. We've been racing in Monaco even beyond what we now call F1 for over a century. Um, so I know it's always been popular. Not necessarily the best for actual action, but uh, Charlie, I, mean, I know you, you said to me beforehand, you've got a bunch of notes on this one. So, so <laughs> tell the good people how you feel about Monaco and I'll be back in 10 minutes. 
Look, Monaco is absolutely terrible for modern wheel-to-wheel racing in Formula One. It's a glamorous event, a bit of a boring race, and I think there are plenty of other street circuits that are much more interesting. For me, the only part of the weekend that I really enjoy is qualifying because it's that kind of extra risk factor of um, drivers needing to get their laps in before anyone inevitably goes into the wall. Um, And (laughs) overtaking is basically non-existent. Although, to me, that doesn't necessarily mean boring because strategy is etc. That being said, do I get excited when we're racing in Monaco? Hell yeah. It's a jewel in motorsports triple crown and there is nowhere like it. Um, Sometimes you don't know what you've got until it's lost, I think. And I think losing Monaco as so widely discussed would be catastrophic. It's unique. Um, there's a dry, like you know, there's a huge driving challenge involved. Um, there is nothing more that I love to watch and hear than twenty Formula One drivers pushing it to the absolute limit. It's just spellbinding, and the concentration required from them is just astonishing and it amazes me every single time. Some of my first ever memories of watching F1 was at Monaco, and it would be a real shame to see it go. And my biggest issue with Monaco. Is there's, there's nothing wrong with the track itself, I don't think. Formula E has shown that with the right car and a good format, it's possible to have some amazing racing around Monaco. So is it a great race for Formula One? <laughs> not in the racing aspect, but it's not Monaco's fault. <laughs> and it could be a great race if the cars weren't so bulky. So, <sighs> I, I mean... It doesn't say a great Formula One race this take. Uh, are you being pedantic here, Charlie? <laughs> are, you, are, are you looking for an asterisk here? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking for any way to say that because I don't want to say that Monaco is a bad race because I still enjoy it. And there's so nothing me, wrong with that. You know, yeah. like, you know, it's 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 a divisive round and you can see where the division will often be. How much do you value entertainment? How much do you value the principality aspect of it? How much do you value the show? There's a lot of different there's a lot of different angles to look at it from. Now, I'll try to wrap up as many as I can in the next two or three minutes, but here's how I look at it. Number one, it's not that special as a jewel in the crown race anymore. It is a glamour race and it is a part of the Triple Crown, but how many people really gave a damn about the Triple Crown until Fernando Alonso started actively going for it? I wonder. Um, with him going after the going after the Le Mans win and then the Indy 500 and that not quite working out for him. I do wonder how many people actually care about the fact that it's one of the, it's one further the Triple Crown. When it comes to the glamour side of things, other rounds have come along since Monaco in the modern age, which you could make a case are also big showpiece marketing rounds. Singapore, I would, I would, I would throw in there because they have a lot of big name musicians that, uh, that have performed down there, like Katy Perry and Rihanna and all of that. I'd argue adding Miami was a big influencer pull last year. I mean, the amount of celebrities that were down there last year for Miami was off the charts. Tom Brady, Michael Jordan was was down there. The um, the, the Watt brothers, I must admit, this is this is probably a bit niche, but it's more for your American sports fans out there. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was a big deal. And I'm sure a lot of them will roll up for Vegas later this year as well. So I do wonder, I wonder if Formula One's looking at Monaco and thinking, 
do we actually need to go here given that the racing at Monaco is still largely processional? For what it's worth, Charlie, I completely agree with you that Formula E was, has been a fantastic fit for Monaco. The first time they raced the full track there was our race of the year on the other show that I host, the Motorsport 101. It was, it, we, we voted it as our race of the year because yeah. we absolutely adored the first full-length Monaco Grand Prix um, race they had in Formula E. So I, mean, I, th- I do believe you're right that Formula One generally has outgrown the confines of Monaco as a, as a car and as a racing series in general. Doesn't necessarily mean the track is bad. It just means that, you know, the cars are a bad fit. And I've said that about a fair few other um, tracks that are on the calendar or have been like Sochi, for example, when it was on the calendar, mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi. I've seen other great, other series have great races there, like Formula Two. I saw, I saw V8 supercars go around Abu Dhabi and it was great. Uh, like, so again, I don't, <laughs> I don't think the track is necessarily the problem either. So I think it's a sporting problem, not a track problem. I I would like to see them do something different with Monaco rather than just yeah. have a conventional Grand Prix. Maybe a timed rally. Who can do seventy eight laps of that track the fastest over over an hour? Like something silly like that. Because as a race itself, it's dull. It, there's not a lot of strategy involved. It's always a one stopper. Um, there's not a lot of tire wear. You're you're kind of waiting and almost cynically hoping someone puts it in the wall so it, it brings out a safety car. Or, uh, or something along those lines. I, uh, w- when was the last truly great Monaco Grand Prix? I can't think back far enough to think of a really great one. Like, I, so, tweet yeah. me, tweet you can tweet us that you know Charlie WTF one Dre underscore WTF one. Tell us the last time you thought Monaco had a great race. I'd love to know because uh, it is a race that I'm not the biggest fan of. But I would I would like to keep it on the calendar in some capacity but maybe not as a conventional Grand Prix. I like my time to rally idea. One of these days I will try and put this through. Stefano, if you're, <laughs> li- if, if you're listening, yeah, I know you're, I know you're clearly keen to mess around with weekend formats at the moment. Hear me out on this one. Let's do a time trial event instead. Tell the drivers to push for like twenty laps or something, and have that be like a have that be an event, like a bit, you know, a bit like cycling when, when they have time trial events. I would like to see that for Monaco. I think it's more, in, I think it's more interesting than just a seventy-eight lap procession. Um, anyway, I've gotten distracted. Um, <laughs> me generally, I'm gonna go two here. I, I, I don't think Monaco is a great race. But I would like to see it stay on the calendar in some capacity. But, but I, I don't, I don't hate Monaco. There are other tracks that I think have gotten no excuse for being as bad as they are. At least with Monaco, there's some mitigation. But I'm going to go two on this one, Charlie. How do you feel about it? Um, I'm going to be the fence sitter that I am and go with a three. I think because I do really enjoy Monaco. It holds. Um... I don't know. It's it's special to me personally as well as being special to Formula One. I think, and I wouldn't want to see it go. But does it mm. provide a great race? No. Um, so I'm going to sit in the middle and go with a three. Three. Oh, you're very comfortable on that fence. I see, Charlie. Oh very- yeah. Yeah, we've literally Always. had emails telling us to stop picking three, and I'm like, hopefully you can, you can understand the fence on this one. Um, it's it's understandable because there is a lot of mitigation regarding Monaco. It's a it's a very divisive track. 
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Take number three is from Vinny. And forgive me for not being able to pronounce your, your, your Twitter name. You know who you are out there. And, and I thought this take was fascinating. I think it's genuinely one of the best ones that I think we've been sent since I started hosting this format of the show. This is a very interesting one. George Russell is on a serious risk of being the next Daniel Ricardo. Now... They've tried to vindicate some of this by some interesting bullet points. Quote, talented, joined big teams at their downfall, beaten their multiple champion teammates in their first seasons, beaten by generational youngsters and left their teams, question mark, uh, failed to reach their potentials. Now, the fourth bullet point about being beaten by generational youngsters, I don't think that's happened to Russell yet, has he? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so, given that no. Lewis is... Uh, uh, I wouldn't call him a youngster. I mean, maybe a youngster in, in life in general at, <laughs> at, at 37, but uh, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's a generational F1 youngster these days, given we've had teenagers make debuts on many occasions. But one, one more time, George Russell is on a serious risk of being the next Ricardo, talented, Joined big teams at their downfall, beaten, beat their multiple champion teammates in their first years, beaten by generational youngsters and left their teams, failed to reach their potentials. So do you think there's a chance that Russell could be the next Ricardo, Charlie? I mean, looking at the initial take, like just the one line, I think I'd be really quick to be like, lol, no. George Russell has always been hailed by others as world champion material, um, especially from the likes of like Claire Williams, who is his team boss at Williams. Um, and, you know, she nurtured his driving ability until he was ready to go to Mercedes. Mm-hmm. In his years as an F1 driver, I think he's definitely proven himself on several occasions to be a class act. And I think he's only cemented that in his time at Mercedes. But when you look at all the individual bullet points, they have made a very, very good point on convincing me that this is the way that his career is going. Yeah. Um, And part of me can kind of see where they're coming from, which is really sad because I hate to even consider Daniel being made out as if his career is like a negative thing because I don't think it is at all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Daniel's had some great achievements and if, if George can get as far as Daniel has, I think that's still that's still good. Um, But I don't think we've seen enough of George and his career at Mercedes. And I think we're all assuming with this take that Mercedes are heading in a downward spiral as well, um, which I don't think is happening. And I don't think we've seen enough to make those judgments on him or the team yet personally, but it is still very interesting take. And um, if they're not a lawyer, they should be because it has made me (laughs) consider my life choices. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so if we if we bring him back Better Call Saul on Netflix anytime <laughs> soon, we know who to ring for this for, for the Bob yeah. Odenkirk work role. Clearly, um, this is a, a very intriguing take. I, I think this is because you you've, 
reflecting on it, obviously Daniel Ricardo. I mean, we talked about it on Monday's podcast. Is there a possibility Ricardo's coming back? I generally said on that show that I don't think it's likely. I don't. I don't see an easy way for him to get back in. Um, I'm going to assume that this take is going down the same road of George Russell's going to end up driving into a bit of a roadblock, maybe at Mercedes, and then that might precipitate a downfall if he ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time, which I think is ultimately what's happened to Ricardo. I mean, you look at Ricardo's career, he got the opportunity to drive for Red Bull over Jeff, um, beat Sebastian Vettel first year, then lost in his second season to Dino Kvyat, funnily enough. I do remember that in 2015. But then when it was him and Verstappen, they were they were trading punches for a, for a good two or three seasons. I mean, Ricardo and Verstappen were quite evenly matched from what I remember. So I think Ricardo ended up ultimately leaving because I think he didn't want to be the number two. I think he could read the tea leaves and see that Max was becoming that dude by the time he got to the end of his run at, at Red Bull. And I think the McLaren deal was him just being in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's ultimately what did him in. You look at George Russell's career so far. Yeah, there's definitely some parallels there. But you look at his situation. I think if Hamilton retires, and I don't think he will, if Hamilton retires early, but let's pretend that he does, George Russell is more than ready to lead that team, in my opinion. I think he's more than good enough to spearhead whatever they're doing with with the Mercs. W14 in general and beyond, and as an overall team leader. Um, at worst, I think you can say that Russell is roughly on Hamilton's level at the moment. They've traded race results, traded pole positions. Um, Russell was obviously unlucky in Australia to have his car fail, but he he's, he's, he's giving Hamilton something to think about at Mercedes, and that's worth something to me, because you could make a very real case that Hamilton's the best driver in the world still. So for Russell to be matching him pound for pound, yeah, I I I think there's I think there's a a lot I think there's a lot of intrigue in where Russell's career is going at the moment. I don't see anything disastrous happening that would facilitate him being another Ricardo, unless Mercs continue to fall down the order. And I don't mm. think they will, because no. if you're George Russell, you haven't really got a good reason to leave at the moment. You're on Hamilton's level roughly right now. Hamilton's days are numbered in F1. He's 38 in January. You can't imagine him going on for a huge amount of time longer. Russell's still entering his prime in his mid-20s. He hasn't really got a good reason to leave Mercedes at the moment. And when he does, you'd assume he'd be the team leader and his experience would probably give him the edge in any matchup uh, against well, pretty much anybody else on the grid, I would argue, depending on who they decide to put in the second seat. Um, I still think it'll, there's a good chance it's Lando Norris. But again, with Russell's, with Russell's experience in that car, I, I, don't, I don't see a bad matchup for George at the moment, and I don't see yeah. a way this goes downhill. That's what I'm starting to think. The only bullet point that I'm thinking you might be right on is failing to reach their potential. Because, I, I mean, I had my doubts about Russell when he was at Williams, but I've had to, I've had to eat some humble pie and admit that um, he's the real deal at Mercedes. He's absolutely vindicated his huge promotion, and he's been outstanding in a Mercedes mm -hmm. so far. So 
yeah um charlie how, how do you score in this because this is this is a fascinating one i don't uh, um be bold be brave <laughs> i don't like going i don't like going with ones unless i am simply like no that could never happen um and i don't feel that way about this because there are similarities and even though i don't think it's going to happen that i mean like you said if mercedes don't turn their stuff around it could happen um so i'm gonna go with a two i think i agree with you i also i also think it's a two this this take didn't deserve me opening the vault on quite frankly even if i strongly even if i strongly disagreed i would not have given this a one because there's too much intrigue here for me to think this is an outright howler Uh, and i (laughs) and i don't think that is i disagree ultimately because i think where Russell's at in his career, it would be an unmitigated disaster for it to go mm-hmm. that far south so quickly. And I think that is what's stopping me from going on a higher score. But I can also see how you've come to that sort of argument that maybe if the team falls a little bit, maybe um, if if Mercedes continue on a downward trend, that, that could open the door to some potential disastrous scenarios. Or you know, if Merck's become a true midfielder, maybe that could be an issue. But I, I can't quite get there on that one. So, But I do get the failure to reach a potential vibe yeah. because, you know, George Russell was an, a, an outstanding prospect and he has one career win so far in F1. That's still not bad for a career to even win a race, but... I think it would be fair to say if he'd he'd had a more conventional path or gotten the rocket ship to the moon treatment like Verstappen and Leclerc did, he'd probably have more than one win by now. So Mm -hmm. I think there's there's also something to that. So I'm going to go two on this one. Uh, Mega versus Primus. Hi, Kieran. How's it going, buddy? (laughs) Um, We know you. (laughs) (laughs) We've taken number four. And uh, he said, Nico Hulkenberg will get a podium before Ivan McLaren this year. Charlie, Charlie, don't don't punch the screen. Uh, I, I see you back there. Um, it's, <laughs> breathe. Uh, <laughs> one more time. Nico Hulkenberg will get a podium before Ivan McLaren this year. I have to say, this is just my opinion. <laughs> like, I, I calm down over mind, there. Mind what you're gonna say, Dre. <laughs> okay, don't now don't kill me here, Charlie. Don't, like I, I, I know. Don't, don't look at me like that. It's fine. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really glad that again these podcasts aren't a visual medium because like Charlie's giving me death stares right now, being the <laughs> McLaren fan that she is. But hear me out on this one, and I don't think you're going to be prepared for what I'm going to say here, Charlie. I think the chance has already come and gone. I think Australia was the golden goose that didn't land for Hulk, for, for, for Hulkenberg. Because if you remember the Australian Grand Prix, the moment they froze the results after the third red flag, Hulkenberg was running fourth with Carlos Sainz in front of him and was, and as we, at the time, we didn't know that Sainz was going to get a penalty, that if they'd have gone with the running order that they had had when they froze the, when they froze the race, Hulk's on the podium. Hulk, after what is it, something like 180 career Grand Prix, finally gets his podium. And that's been the running joke for Nico Hulkenberg his entire career, the poor man. Because his career is much better than just, oh, his career high is fifth. Or something silly like that. But 
I think the chance has already come and gone. That's what I'm kind of fearing here. Of course, as we all know, in the end, the FIA changed the running order because of the Alpines couldn't they're not being able to continue, and you know they were going off the original restart rather than, um, you know, rather than uh, what when they actually froze the race. It's complicated. I mean, it, now we know exactly why Haas tried to protest the result because if they yeah. if they'd have won their appeal. Hulkenberg finishes that Grand Prix likely in third. <laughs> and then that, that's 15 points for Hassan. and that's absolutely priceless for a team in the midfield. Instead, it didn't go that way. Hulk still had a really nice day in seventh, but he was he ended up in a McLaren sandwich <laughs> because McLaren ended up sixth and eighth and ended up with, what was it, 12 points in the end. So I I have to disagree with you on this one, Kieran. and I feel like that that golden opportunity is already come and gone. So um, how do you feel about it, Charlie? Please don't kill me. Um, no, I agree with everything that you have just said, to be honest. I feel like I agree. Like, you know, no, Nico almost had his turn at Australia. Um, but the reason I disagree with this the most, and this might shock you as well, um, is because I think that, you know, not because I think that Lando and Oscar are going to end up on the podium this year, but I think it's it's more because I don't think that if you aren't in a Red Bull, Ferrari or a Mercedes or an Aston Martin, nobody's getting on that podium this year. I was going to say, I was going to say, I, I had a feeling you were going that way with that. So you implying that basically you don't think any of them get a podium yeah. this year. And yeah. I, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, and I mean, I keep saying this and I actually saw a review on one of our podcasts that said that we have that, that this podcast has an un, unreal bias. And that's probably towards me and my McLaren. And I admit I am a, I am biased because I'm, <laughs> because I'm a fan and, and, and WTF1 and is for fans by fans. So I am going to keep saying that McLaren is, is not as bad as everyone thinks. And especially with the updates hopefully coming their way. I think it will sort itself out and Alpine and McLaren are going to be fighting for those last few points in the top 10. I think most races once we sort our. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my unbiased opinion, but if I'm not going to be unbiased then yeah, I don't think that anybody's getting on that podium apart from those top four. I think it would take a miracle for any of the three people involved in that take to get a podium finish yeah. this year. Like Holkenberg was tantalizingly close. McLaren looked like they're, I think if you gave McLaren every benefit of the doubt and assume they would make some progress, I think they'd end up roughly where they were last year anyway, yeah. roughly around fifth. Um, and Haas, I think are okay, but I think the the lower end of the midfield, I've said it before, is a bar fight. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's Alfa Romeo, Haas, Williams, McLaren, Alfa Tauri. They are all beating each other. In fact, F1 dropped a great stat this morning. This was the first time in yeah. F1 history that every team has scored a point in the first three rounds. That's amazing. Uh, it's 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 a fight. It is a re it is going to be a proper scrap, I think, for sixth in the championship right now. I think the top five are pretty much where I think they're going to be, but I think the the six to ten range is going to be very intriguing. And for that reason alone, I don't think anyone gets on the podium from those three parties mentioned. Agreed. So, with that in mind, oh. <laughs> 
I think I'm going to have to open the vault on this one. I think in it's a the one. vault. In the vault. It's a one, I'm afraid. I, I, I can't get there on that one, Kieran. I'm sorry, brother. Um, <laughs> please forgive me. I know you're very active on Twitter, and I know you'll 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 tweet me this after after the show goes out. Um, forgive me, but I, I can't get there on on any of them on this one. Getting the podium finish. No, like I would love to see Hulkenberg on the podium. I really oh, who would. Wouldn't? I, like it would be a great story if Hulkenberg got a podium finish at some point in this season. But I just can't get there on this one. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me on that one. Uh, last tweet is from G Hudson nine eleven. Uh, Gregory, uh, good to see you, buddy. Um, and. It's a classic, and I don't think we've talked about it. We've talked, we've kind of half hinted at this one a few times, but it's he's gone straight for the jugular. Greg says Red Bull will run the table. They will win every single race this season, which has never been done in F1 history. No team has ever ran the table and won every single race. I mean, we've come close a few times. I think McLaren did it in, in the late one short. I think back in the 80s, I know that Mercedes had a couple of seasons. Where I think they were two away in 2016, I think. I think it was 19 out of 21, something like that they won that year. So we've had a couple of near misses, but no team has ever won every single race in a, in a Constructors' Championship year since 1950. Is this going to be the first? What do you think, Charlie? I didn't know George Russell was a fan of Hot Takes Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> George Russell is George, George Russell is the most paranoid man in the world regarding Rebels pace. I, I, like I, I, it's, it's a great tangent. It's a great side note. It, how many stories have you written this year, Charlie, on the website oh. about George Russell being paranoid about Rebels' true pace? Honestly, I honestly could not count, and we're only three races in. But he uh, he has something to say about that car every every single weekend without fail. <laughs> um. But aside from that, do I agree with George Russell and the person who entered this take? Um, it is plausible. I think if you look at what we've seen so far this season, a Red Bull is taking every pole position and every win so far. Um, I know we're only three races in again, but that's still quite impressive. It's an extremely dominant car. And I think the only way they'll be stopped is if developments that Ferrari and Mercedes are bringing in. I know that I saw... Um, a quote from Christian Horner saying that he was quite concerned um, because, well, he was saying to Fred Vasseur that he felt like the cost cap penalty was too um, gentle and <laughs> basically Horner, Horner was like, no, it isn't. Just wait until they all bring their developments. But I just think he's lying. Frank, frankly, I don't think he's telling the truth. He knows how quick that car is and he just doesn't want to give it completely away. Um it's yeah, almost just... it's almost like the team bosses are politicians or something. Yeah, it is. It is. But um yeah, so they could win every race this season. I actually quite agree with this take. Yeah, like f first and foremost, and I, I want to address this because I think it's quite funny. You like like every team boss plays down their success mm -hmm. when they're winning. Toto Wolf was guilty of this for years and years, and we all just spent. Absolutely, our, I spent many a time laughing at him when he was like, <laughs> "Oh no, no, we struggled. You know, we, we had a really difficult weekend. We couldn't figure out this car." Toto, you won by twenty five seconds, mate. Like, like you, you don't have to, <laughs> you, you don't have to BS us here. Like, we're not stupid, all right? Um, like, you know, it's it, it, this came up a lot where it's like if. You, of course, they're going to slow roll their hand. Like the FIA's already gotten rid of last year's porpoise indirective, um, 
because I think they guess that which I think is their way of telling the teams be more aggressive on your flaws if it means chasing down Red Bull. That's what that says to me. Yeah. So I think they're already panicking, thinking, "Oh crap, Red Bull's got a serious chance of of cleaning house here." Um, <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I think I I don't think Red Bull are necessarily sandbagging. I think no, Red, I don't. I I don't think they're deliberately going slow. I think. I mean, if you're an F1 team, you want to win with taking as little risk as possible. That just makes sense. That's the sensible thing to do. Um, Why go all out if you don't have to at the end of the day? And exactly. Well, yeah, it's all about managing, managing tires, everything, isn't it? So it's all a game of management. So yeah, like I I don't think we've seen Red Bull at 10 tenths of their full, their full potential out of too many points this season so far. And that's okay. But when in regard to them winning overall, this take essentially boils down to: Do you think there's going to be a completely crazy race at some point in this season that would? Because I think we're at the point where something would have to happen to both Red Bulls mm-hmm. at the same race for them not to win. Because the, I was watching Australia, and there are a couple of times where Max pushed and. He 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 was a second a lap faster than the field. I remember, I think it was the lap after he passed Hamilton, a lap later, oh. the gap's 2.1 seconds. I'm just sitting there going, what the hell is sort of jungle juice is in that car? Um, and look, Fred Vassar, of course, he's going to say that, hmm. you know, the punishment's too light. It's very easy to say that now you've seen them dominate, given the fact that they shut down development on their last car at the summer break they knew what yeah. they were doing they they shut it down early because they knew they had pace in hand that's that's the nature of the game and if they've nailed their cfd runs even with a cost cap penalty then they're gonna still benefit that red bull are a really good team <laughs> you know they they've won multiple championships they are really really good at mm-hmm. this they have the greatest car designer arguably in f1 history in their back pocket that's how this goes sometimes do I think they win every race? No. I think they'll probably come one or two short because F1 is a wacky as hell sport <laughs> and something silly will happen at some point around the line and we're going to be celebrating a Fernando Alonso victory somewhere. Probably just one of them, though. Maybe just one. And But, hey, that's all it would take. So you, you need Red Bull to execute virtually flawlessly all 23 let's not forget this is the biggest f1 season ever 23 wins out of 23 i would be amazed if red bull or any f1 team could execute a season like that to virtual perfection so i'm gonna say two i i think they'll cough up one or two i don't think they'll win every single race so that's why i'm going to on this one what do you reckon that that is surprisingly low I I honestly, that shocked me. Um, I think I just don't want to be a fence sitter. So I'm going to go with a four. I probably would have gone for a three, but I don't want to get complaints. So I'm going to go for a four. (laughs) No, look. look. No, I I, I think. This this might be the strongest case in modern years where someone might run the table. Yeah. I mean, I have two parts. Like there's, there's two, there's two parts of my brain that's going, um, you know, no you know what f1 is like um it can be crazy that's not possible and then the other part of my brain is like but you can't count on something crazy happening do you know what i mean so i think yeah i think the the part that 
I don't want to just be like, oh, well, something crazy has got to happen in this season because we do have boring seasons. That does happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with a four. A four indeed. Yeah, that'll be very intriguing to look back on by the time the season's all said and done. Can Red Bull win every <laughs> single race? I am such a jinx that probably Baku's going to run around and then neither of them will win and we'll just get a completely different winner. And Verstappen and Perez have hit each other. <laughs> yeah. It's shades of Ricardo all over again and Fernando I... Alonso wins the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. <laughs> I still hold myself very accountable for Alex Albon at Australian the Australian Grand Prix and I'm really sad about it still so I think I am just a huge jinx so now that I've said it who oh, knows did, did you call that and then, and then he ends up spinning out from what he was running yeah. sixth when he spun didn't he <laughs> well, no, yeah I tweeted saying can we just appreciate Alex Albon oh. and then like like literally just a click and there he goes I was like why <laughs> why me <laughs> Your destructive jinxing <laughs> powers know no bounds, Charlie. You you stay off that prediction narcotic going forward, <laughs> okay? Um, but that'll do it for this edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. Great time as, as ever. Great takes as ever. Keep sending them into at WTF1 official. We'll be back next week for a pre-Baku edition. Looking forward to that as ever. But in the meantime, from me, Dre Harrison, and from the lovely Charlie Williams, we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye.